Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Port Richards podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Association for Diplomatic Studies and Training, ADST. For more, check out our website at adst.org. ADST, American Diplomacy, warts and all. Did you ever wonder how you could get your letter signed by the president? Perhaps you've read one of the funny notes a child has sent a president. Eight-year-old John W. James III wrote President Nixon a letter in the summer of 1973. Dear President Nixon, I heard you were sick with pneumonia. I just got out of the hospital yesterday with pneumonia, and I hope you did not catch it from me. Nixon wrote back a few days later, thanking little John for his condolences and encouraging him to eat more vegetables. When an ambassador needs a letter of support from a U.S. president, he can't just send some fan mail and hope for a reply. Getting a letter signed by the president requires the right connections and a lot of persistence. Today, you get to hear the story of Thomas F. Stroke, U.S. ambassador to Guatemala from 1989 to 1992. After the Cold War, the U.S. began to put a greater emphasis on enforcing its policy of protecting human rights worldwide. President Vincenzo Cerevo Analvo of Guatemala refused to believe that the U.S. would no longer tolerate human rights abuses in his country, despite Ambassador Stroke's warnings. Stroke decided that a letter of support from George H.W. Bush would persuade Guatemala's president. He just needed to get it signed. Andrew Lowe interviewed Stroke in November 1993. Let's listen in. I want to make a speech, and I want to make it as friendly as I can, but as firm as I can, about human rights. And that's what I want the speech to be about. That's what it was about. And there was in there a phrase that said, the United States cannot long have productive relations with a country that either promotes or tolerates human rights abuses of its own citizens, because that is not in the strain of the American tradition. Well, you can imagine that that created quite a sensation in that country, and uh, they asked Benicio Cerezo, the president, about it, and he said, well, I know Tom, and he's kind of a cowboy, and these are just his personal opinions, and I'm sure they don't reflect the opinions of the United States government. And that was the first time I, I ever really pulled in whatever chits I had, and I called Bernie Aronson of the State Department, and I said, you guys have got to support me. Well, I have to give Bernie Aronson a great deal of credit for a lot of things, but certainly on this one, he did. He backed me up 100%. He was mad at me because he said, God damn it, why didn't you send up the speech for me to read before you gave it? And I said, Bernie, I did. And what neither of us knew, and I didn't realize until quite a bit later, was that Bernie didn't speak Spanish. So the cable with the speech in Spanish he saw it, or and he didn't read it, or have it translated, or because it was in Spanish, he just skipped it. Well, from then on out, of course, I set up everything I was going to say in English as well as Spanish. But in any event, I had. But regardless of the fact that he was upset about that, he backed me up a hundred percent. And he said, "What we'll do is we'll bring you home. We'll recall you as a sign of our displeasure at the president's statement." When I got back there, I thought to myself, "Well, you know, just being recalled and coming back—that's not dramatic enough." I need something dramatic. I need a letter signed by the President of the United States saying that Ambassador Strzok doesn't speak 
does indeed speak for this administration. Well, to get a letter signed by the president through the fudge factory down at Foggy Bottom is not going to happen in a week. And I wanted to get back there in a week while this thing was still hot and handed to the president on the Monday following. So the first thing I did was get a hold of Margaret Tutwiler, who had worked in the Bush campaigns as Jim Baker's secretary, and who was now the assistant secretary for, uh, for uh, public affairs. Get an appointment with her and ask Margaret to get me an appointment with Jim Baker so I could get this. And then I get get a letter. And then I worked with uh, the Guatemala desk officer, a brilliant girl by the name of Debbie McCarthy. And she and, and uh, I ran around the legal department and I got input from everybody I could. We worked up a one-page letter in, in Spanish with a good English translation this time for the president to sign saying that indeed I did speak for the administration and while the president had every kind of admiration and respect for President Cereso, he really wanted to know that, 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 that human rights were an important component of our relationship. I have the letter and I forget all of it, but it was a good, friendly, fair, but very firm letter in, in which the phrase was that Ambassador Stroke does indeed speak for this administration. Right, so I got a hold of Margaret and Margaret got and we got a hold of Karen Davidson, Jim's scheduling. The next thing you know, Baker says, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd like to talk to Stroke. I had an appointment at 11 o'clock on Thursday and I suddenly remembered that Brett Scowcroft, who was head of the General Scowcroft, who was head of the uh, National Security Council, was a good friend of Dick Cheney's. And so I called Kathy and got her to call Brent Scowcroft's secretary and then I called and Brent remembered me because we'd ridden in the car together to Dick's uh, swearing in and I said I really need to talk to you so I had an appointment on Thursday with Baker and Friday with Scowcroft and the deal with Scowcroft was going to take me over to see the president with this letter and then Sunday Saturday I was going to spend Saturday with my sister Sandra and Sunday I was going to fly back to Guatemala. Well, nobody in the State Department, and I guess I didn't think I was going to have a letter either, because it, you know, whether I was going to get this letter was up or down. So we show up in Baker's office at 11 o'clock, and we go march right in, Karen Davidson brings us right in, and Jim wants to spend the whole time talking about the ranch up in Jackson. And of course, I love to talk about Wyoming too, and we arranged strange fishing, and uh, you could tell it was getting to the end of the of the time. And he was, and finally he said, oh, he said, about this Guatemala thing, he said, uh, you've got a letter you want? And I said, yes, Mr. Secretary, I sure do. I said, I want that letter so bad, and I explained to him why. He turned to Bernie, and he said, well, Bernie, what do you think? Well, by this time, Bernie knows that Jim and I go back a little ways. I was. He was going to send me back with or without a letter. He said, well, yeah, he's, he's, I've read it. So he says, okay, then let's do it. And I said, well, Mr. Secretary, I have an appointment over at the White House. He said, well, I, I, I'd rather you go through channels, but he said, the letter's okay. Well, when we went out on the hall, I said to Bernie, I said, Bernie, if we go through channels, I'm never going to get this letter. I'm going to take this letter over to, to Brent Scowcroft with me. Would you authorize it to be typed? And he did. Bless his head. So I had the letter typed in final form. The official letter in English and the official translation in Spanish behind it. And Friday, I waltzed it over. Now, this is Friday about 10.30. I waltzed it over to the White House, and I waited for 15 minutes and finally got in to see Brent Scowcroft. And, of course, no chit-chat there, just me and Brent Scowcroft. And I told him my problem. And he said, he read the letter, and he said, Bernie Aronson has signed off. And I said, yes, and I had the whole file. There was Bernie. And I said, I've talked to Jim Baker about it, too.
okay. He said, well, you better hurry. So he picks up the phone, and he gets the president, and so he walks me down from his office down into the Oval Office, and you can hear the chopper is warming up on the White House South Lawn. That's how close it was. The president was headed off Friday from someplace, I think Camp David. I'm not sure. And we spent two or three minutes chatting, and how are you, and how's Marta, and how are things going, and he was very flattering, you're doing a wonderful job, and I hear there's a problem or something, he said, you've got a letter, and I said, yes, Mr. President, here it is, he said, well, he said uh, to Brent, is it okay if I sign this, and Brent said, well, it's been signed off by everybody, the State Department looked at me, he said, this better not be wrong, and he put it up on the door jam <laughs> as he's going out the door, and signed George Bush, and handed it to me, and, I, and then he went out with his entourage and gets in the helicopter and goes God knows where. And I breathe a sigh of relief and the sweat's coming off me like bullets. <laughs> and uh, that's how I got the letter. Then I took that letter back to Guatemala and I had an appointment next Monday with the president down in his Finca Santo Tomas. And before that, the, the, the people who were really impressed with the letter were the people in the embassy who still didn't know whether I was for real or not. And that letter, I think, was the pivotal point that changed the whole direction of the way the embassy wanted to go then and the way the Guatemalan government perceived us and how the rest of Guatemalan society perceived us because previous to that, talking about human rights violations wasn't quite the right thing to do. After all, it meant you were attacking. Everybody knew you were attacking mostly the security forces and the army and the government because they did most of it. And that was maybe being a little too pro-communist and a little too to the left to do that. But once the American ambassador came back with a letter from the president after that speech, it was very obvious where the United States stood and where the United States stands is where most of Guatemalan society wants to be close to at least. So from then on out, I really did begin to notice a very great change in the way the Guatemalans approached human rights violations publicly, privately, and, uh, and governmentally. That was Thomas F. Stroke telling you just what it takes to get your letters signed by the president. Thanks for listening. ADST is an independent, nonprofit organization located in Arlington, Virginia. ADST's oral history collection, beginning in 1986, contains over 2,500 oral histories, unveiling the horrifying, thought-provoking, and absurd events that have helped shape foreign policy. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make a tax-deductible donation to allow ADST to continue its work at www.adst.org.